Hello, Food Chain. This is Sharon Chitun, and I'm a food tech junkie and innovation nerd who loves a good story. This podcast combines all of my favorite vices into a deep dive about the problems our food system faces and the visionary people working on solutions. In today's episode, we are hosting Nora May Cadena, co-founder and general partner of Supply Change Capital, pioneering fund dedicated to reshaping our food system by intertwining climate solutions with cultural awareness. Nora May has a unique perspective on innovation and impact. Today, she's here to share insights on how Supply Change Capital is leading the charge in creating a sustainable, equitable, and cultural inclusive food ecosystem. Join us for a compelling conversation on the nexus of technology, culture, and sustainability. Are you ready? Here we go. Hi, Nora May. How are you? I'm doing great. So excited to chat with you today. Same, same. I am very excited to dive into the very important topic of diversity and inclusion in food innovation. It's something that is not discussed enough, in my opinion. But before we dive into all of that, I just wanted to congratulate you. I know it happened a few months ago, but it's always a great piece of news. So kudos to you on closing your fund. Thank you. It was a couple of months ago, but I'm still riding the high. I bet. I bet. (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit about how you got started, who you are, and what led you to to do what you're doing today? Yes, I'm happy to. Uh, Nora May. I live in Los Angeles. I was born in Mexico, grew up in Los Angeles, and have had a 20-year professional career that has always been at the intersection of innovation, equity, and impact. I started as an engineer in the aerospace sector where I spent 12 years, really focused on bringing products to market, albeit at a very large scale. And after business school, I had this desire to move faster and to to break things, if you will. And that led me to pivot to venture capital in 2015. So for the last eight and a half years, I've been focused on on making investments in companies that I'm excited about. And I first started investing in deep tech, manufacturing, and supply chain. I then began investing with with a diversity lens. And in 2020, I reconnected with Shana, who I went to business school with. And we were both at reflection points in life and introduced folks to each other and made an angel investment that would ultimately pave the way for the supply chain capital thesis. Wow, such a diverse background uh, from supply chain to aerospace to venture capital to diversity and inclusion. Um, going back to your fund, what is your thesis, how did it all come about, and what are you looking to invest in today? Yeah, there are two themes that really drive our thesis at Supply Change Capital, and those are culture and climate. So we think about these in terms of supply and demand. Um, so climate impacts the supply chain, and culture is due to demographic shifts. And so we invest in companies all across the food and ag supply chain that are innovating 
based on these forces? Why food? <laughs> That's a great question. 20, 27% of the global workforce is employed in ag specifically. It's a $10 trillion market. And it has, you know, ag was considered the last frontier for, for tech innovation for a long time. And now there are, we're just coming across so many infrastructure uh, opportunities for innovation. So about a third of our portfolio is actually in the SaaS, in the software space, innovating against the infrastructure of the food and ag system. So this is supply chain traceability. This is um, food safety. This is connecting emerging brands with contract manufacturers and, and providing some tech tools. So there's a large opportunity to have impact. And when we think about impact, there are three major ways in which we measure that. We think about reducing the food system impact on climate. We think about improving health across communities. And we think about improving diversity across the food and ag ecosystem. Yeah. And so how do you ensure that your portfolio reflects the necessary demographics, cultural like, diversity, uh, and sustainability shifts that sort of puts it all together? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a key question. So Shana and I have been authentically working across sustainability, equity, impact, and all these spaces for each of our 20 years. And so we've cultivated networks that have brought us diverse deal flow. And as we take a look at what that deal flow looks like, right, we've seen over a thousand deals this year. Well, it'll probably be 1,500 by the end of the year. About 75% of those deals come from women and people of color. And as we look at the portfolio, which is really the true measure for me, right, um, the, the top of funnel is interesting, but not as interesting as what spews out of the other end. And so for us, over 60% of our portfolio is led by women and 80% is led by women or people of color. And so that's the true measure, right? It's not about top of funnel because if everyone is leaked out throughout the process, then it it, you're not getting the quality. So, or you have a process that's not accounting for bias. So for us, it's about being visible, open, and approachable in the community, which means no one needs a warm intro to get to us. Anyone can submit a deal through our website. And two of the 18 deals we've invested in have been cold inbounds. It means that we're visible, that we're pretty loud and proud about our thesis. So we're attracting founders who maybe have not been heard before. And we're actively thinking about our process and ensuring that we're comparing apples to apples in each and every deal. Which is crucial. And how important is it to, I guess, invest in, in that multicultural and diverse entrepreneurial generation in light of the changing demographics in the U.S. and across the globe. Yes. I mean, the, what, we, what we focus on are the fact that it is market opportunity, right? So in the U.S., multicultural citizens account for nearly all of U.S. population growth. And there's also clear evidence that the food supply chains are inefficient, 
they're environmentally detrimental with about 30% of greenhouse gas emissions attributable to the food system, and they're wasteful. And the food system fails to serve many communities around the world, right? Healthy diets are out of reach for something like 3 billion people. Uh, by 2050, we're going to need to feed 10 billion people. And if we want to do so in a way that is nutritious and sustainable, then we need to be thinking beyond the very basic animals and plants that make up 75% of our diet. And so that's how we think about the importance of culture. It is the economic power center growth. It is the increasing desire to see your own culture represented on the shelf. And it is a, a need around diversifying where our food comes from. Which is pretty paramount. I mean, especially if COVID has taught us anything, is how on both the supply chain side and the nutrition side, the dietary side, the health side, we cannot ignore that inequality in terms of who eats what. Um, and that is such a massive undertaking. How do you tackle such a problem? Well, we, we focus on why we think we, we have the power to add value. And so we, we are a returns first fund here and we care about returning capital to our investors, right? We, we care about investing in companies that can, that can grow, scale, and exit. And in addition to that, we, we think that when you're investing in food, it's impossible to not think about the environment and health and diversity. And so we have a theory of change that includes the kinds of impact and output uh, that we want to have in the world. And so it means that every investment is evaluated not only for its potential financial return, but also for its potential to meet our impact metrics. And that means there's a pre-screener that evaluates companies along those three dimensions of impact. And we answer simple yes or no questions. And at the end of the pre-screener, we get a yes, this investment passes or no, this investment does not. And there are many incredible ideas we've come across, um, tech and consumer goods and other that we find very exciting, but they don't meet our impact goals. And so that's a critical step in the process for us. It, it allows us to have guardrails around where we will and will not diligence a deal. And as we think about consumer goods, which make up about 10% of, of our allocated capital to date, our lens is really around culture and how culture plays a role in the go-to-market strategy of a particular brand. So we have a couple of those, and, and I can give you some examples in terms of yeah, how they translate. So the first investment we made was in a company called IO Foods. Um, they're based in Chicago. This is a husband and wife team, and they are building the, the national platform for West African food, foods and flavors. They started with frozen in a category that grew massively during COVID. They've added sauces and desserts, and they're now distributed nationally. So wow. this is a company that's very much culture leading in a way that's authentic, in a way that's where they're thinking about sustainability from, the, from sourcing 
through how their how their profit is then reinvested in the community. Another example is a company in, in the California Central Valley called Agua Bonita, which is upcycling fruits and turning them into agua fresca. This is a staple beverage in the Latino community. And we're really excited about their growth too. They started as a D2C brand for during COVID and really built out a strong audience and have now pivoted um, to mostly retail distribution and are finding pretty strong growth. So they're culture first, but they have the the potential to have mass market appeal. And that's what we find exciting. That's cool. So what are some other key factors that you consider when investing into a startup? I mean, you mentioned your checkbox. So what are those factors? Yeah. So as we look at the the pre-screener and, and I can go down and, and you know, walk through each element, but if we're thinking about health, for example, we're asking ourselves, does this company improve safety or nutrition of the food supply for customers, right? And And this is, is it enhancing food safety by using GFSI certified ingredient suppliers? Is it a product or service that improves nutrition? Thinking about clean label, plant-based proteins, high fiber, low sugar, low sodium, or supporting healthy behaviors. So that's one way we think about health. In terms of a community approach, we would be thinking about whether the product or service enables suppliers to improve community health. And this can be through job creation, rotational grazing, cover crops, reduced pesticide use, better employment or wage practices, cleaner water, reduced packaging, renewable energy implementation of manufacturing facilities, logistics optimization, improved air quality. So it's really a broad approach to how the product or service can improve health. As we think about environment, for example, there are a few dimensions here. It's atmosphere, biodiversity, water, and packaging. So in terms of atmosphere, does the company track scope one and two greenhouse gas emissions? Do they have an estimate of what kind of reduction their product or service will enable? Or is this company developing a software that supports the tracking of emissions? In terms of biodiversity, does the company reduce the impact on threatened or endangered species or ecosystems? Does it reduce demand for problematic ingredients, which we consider soy, palm, coffee, cocoa, wild-caught seafood? Some of these are are what what we've called problematic ingredients. Are we upcycling typically wasted or lost ingredients? and it really goes on and on. It includes water, packaging, in terms of team and diversity. We're looking at the diversity of the founding team, but also whether this is a product or service that caters to or reaches an undeserved, under, underserved uh, demographic. We're also thinking about the community. Does this product or service have a plan to source or have a supplier community? that is supporting underserved communities? And is it a written sourcing policy or a purchasing policy? And then in terms of cap table, 
an equity ownership? Is this a company that has, you know, is really thinking about who is, who will win when they succeed? They're all key points. And I mean, it's, I mean, it's nice uh, that you have such a holistic and rounded look at what the solutions might bring to the table. Uh, you, you are bringing that very fresh perspective. Mm -hmm. and yeah. In developing this theory of change, I mean, Sheena really leveraged her experience in both the nonprofit sector and the corporate sector to work through how we were going to how we were going to evaluate investments for impact. So this is the kind of work that uh, she had experience doing at, at Mars, helping them develop their sustainable sourcing practices. So it's been really key in, in how we implement our own theory of change. And when we started, we really benchmarked with other venture capital firms around how they thought about impact full scale from review through post-investment to reporting. And we didn't find anything that we thought meant what we were trying to accomplish. So we created this on our own. Amazing. Obviously, the role of sustainability is in every single aspect of your vision and your strategy. Um, but considering, though, the disparity, and maybe we can talk a little bit about that, that is still happening in venture capital funding today, whether it's on gender, whether it's on race, how does supply chain capital identify and support that sort of untapped potential in the food industry? And also, how do you really go about to try and shift that inequality that we are still suffering of today? Oh, the big question. <laughs> Very big. Yeah. We, uh, we, we talk often about a full stack diversity or, or diversity across the value chain. And, and we think about our role in the ecosystem. Now we're two, two women leading this firm, right? 50% uh, Latina team. And so we know that that's unique already. But we zoom out and we think about our own investors, right? Back to the question of when we're successful, who will benefit? So we're really thinking about who we're taking capital from. We're thinking about who we're supporting through our own dollars in terms of service providers. And when we have the opportunity to work with women or firms that are owned by, by Black, Latino, Asian American um, founders, then that's where we put our capital. And we think about this as we grow our team, as we make investments. We also work with organizations like the Cap Table Coalition, which can help fill in venture rounds of, of companies, leveraging angel investments from black and brown investors, for example. So they're filling that they're a mini marketplace that's creating opportunities for black and brown investors to write smaller checks but then also helping diversify cap tables. And when we make an investment, we have a side letter that is our, you know, our list of intentions. And it communicates to a company how we want to work with them post-investment. So it talks about our supercharged three post-investment program. It talks about impact and reporting. It talks about our desire for improved inclusion and equity in cap tables. And so it asks that they consider dedicating 10% of each follow-on round to ensuring that their cap table is remains diverse. 
And that's a way that I think is, is key for us to extend our own way of thinking into how our portfolio companies start to think about the same. Yes. And it's so important what you guys are doing. I guess from both of your experiences, obviously, how let's call it the leadership experience of Kadena Harris. <laughs> Shape the vision um, and sort of the operational approach of cultivating a sustainable and inclusive food system. Ooh, I mean, that's a good one. Um, Shana and I, we started this firm. Actually, today is our three-year anniversary. Uh, so we started this firm in late 2020, right? Each on the heels of nearly 20 years of work in, in industry. And I'd say for Shana, who's been strictly in the food industry, nonprofit, corporate, and venture-backed company, this is really the culmination of so much work that she's done in the ecosystem from working directly with farmers to sustainable sourcing practices to really scaling a company. So her operator lens here is really key and it has credibility with founders. And she, for example, co-founded Chicago Fair Trade. Can't remember what year, but she's been deeply embedded in these ecosystems. So the operator lens is what is key. For me, spent a long time in corporate, but bringing products to market and really thinking about um, hardware focused on supply chain and operations as well. And then through my the five years I spent in venture before supply chain, I got to spend a lot of deep time with founders, working shoulder to shoulder with them through our accelerator program and and seeing how those companies evolved and what pitfalls they encountered. And so we've taken these two, you know, two different work experiences, but shared values. And what we've created is a firm that is really focused on both people and businesses. And it means that we've taken our experience and we've crafted this uh, coaching program with, a, with an executive coaching firm in Chicago. All of our founders have access to this on us. And they can, in cohort mode, work with an executive coach for about six months and tackle topics around setting the right culture for the organization to attract and retain talent. They think about co-founder conflict and how to manage. They take Hogan personality assessments and identify areas where their team is supercharged and areas where their team might see conflict and how to deal with it. And they talk about the hiring and firing. They talk about growth of the company. So this is where I think we're really, we're really supercharged and everything that we offer to our portfolio companies, we do ourselves. So executive coaching is a key, is, is foundational to our team and to our partnership. Mm, super cool. So in what ways do you think that the diversity in leadership, like the one that you just mentioned, contributes to a more inclusive uh, or innovative strategy and investment strategy? And do you think that those diversities together with a shared vision are that sort of like that secret sauce that is helping you to 
make all of these super cool things happen for your founders? And if so, mm -hmm. should we all incorporate, which I think we should, that more inclusive and innovative approach into our businesses? You know, we launched a foundation this month called the Supply Change Foundation, and it was it was because we realized that there's so much work to do. And although we will have impact through the investments we make out of our fund, this fund and subsequent funds, there's still our work to do. And so we do have a community first approach that we know helps us build deal flow. It helps us nurture co-investment relationships. Um, it helps us advance equity of opportunity and venture and throughout the food ecosystem. And ultimately, we both have kids. It helps us leave the world a better place for them. And we dedicate a full page on our website to community and how we're involved. And it has been the ROI from our efforts in the community, whether it's co-founding Chicago Fair Trade or Latinas in STEM or Latinx VC or joining a group of 20 investors to launch the Food, Nutrition, and Health Investor Coalition with the White House, which is really a commitment to drive $2.5 billion in private investment over the next three years to improve hunger and health outcomes. Not to improve hunger. That was a bad pause. To improve hunger and health outcomes through food. This is where our cup is filled, right? This is the work that we enjoy doing and we're, we're, we firmly believe that we can have a capitalist fund and have and drive positive income impact. Which is crucial. And I think that that is the definition of what impact investing should be, right? I mean, it's unfortunately one of those words that at times is a little bit inflated. Yes. On a because we do need people and initiatives that truly want to create impact. But to create impact, you have to look at things differently and from different perspectives. And it's not always easy. But you guys are doing it. And can you elaborate on this a little bit? And what are, in your opinion, some of those overlooked and underinvested trends that maybe you guys have identified uh, and that you have seen the impact that it can create? for the agri-food industry overall? Sure. Well, firstly, as we, as we look at our existing portfolio, which we started building two years ago, there are three main categories for, for where we've invested. The first is food ingredient and ag tech. And these are companies that are, that are in the fermentation space that are bringing deep tech or biotech solutions to market. The second bucket is really around software that is addressing cross-cutting industry issues, supply chain traceability, labor software, food safety, point of sale solutions. And then thirdly, we have the brands that are culture first, right? And what we've invested in so far has been 90% tech, 10% brands. In terms of what, where we think there's underinvestment, at the beginning of the year, we set out to write our, our, our predictions and our desire for what kind of deal flow we would see. And we talked about cold chain as one of those areas. So cold chain, carbon insetting, what else? Staple commodity production with fungi. 
So we we thought a lot about this idea of decoupling decoupling agriculture from developing goods. And we invested in one company that has since made a pivot, but what they were doing was taking wastewater from food and beverage manufacturing, growing mycelium in it, and then turning it into flour as one example. So flour that was higher in protein, high fiber, low carb, and yet decoupled from agriculture and supply chain, supply chain challenges. So that's an area that continues to be interesting for us. Infrastructure software is also another, right? This is like really thinking about boring steps in the process that where technology can really add an interesting layer. We just invested in a labor software company that we think is interesting in this way. Yeah, those are some of the areas. Sharon, what, what's exciting for you? Oh, so many things. Oh, uh, <laughs> I think everything is exciting depending on uh, where one is in the world, right? Like, I think one of the biggest mistakes that we do is we tend to just generalize into a one-size-fits-all approach. Yes. And also, I think the sad thing is that there's a lot of fighting between people uh, that are all very motivated and trying to do good in this food system, but... It's like very clicky, uh, like high school. <laughs> and uh, and to me, I like to look at all the solutions that could potentially impact uh, a specific place. Um, so I'm big on region ag and carbon sequestration solutions. I'm big on uh, the complementary protein space. I'm big on everything that creates new opportunities, um, you know, like not just the, I don't know, the plant-based burger, for example, but companies that maybe uh, use fermentation to create completely new value chains, whether it's on chocolate or tea or coffee, for example. Um, I also look at the, uh, uh, not just the, the let's say, the high-tech solutions, but also low-tech solutions um, and look at food sovereignty and indigenous communities, like that ancient wisdom and knowledge and how can we apply, you know, what they, you know, what the past is, you know, taught us into, you know, the future. There are some great um, examples of, for example, food forests uh, coming about. Um, and, you know, that's not necessarily the startup talking, but, you know, it's really about looking at food in different ways that is climate friendly um, and health friendly for us humans. So I am a very curious individual. I don't have, let's say, a one solution, um, but it's more, I think, looking at what it's out there and how do we apply it? You know, what's needed in one place? I mean, that's big for me as well as just generally like collaboration and impact and like the human factor, which is not necessarily a solution, but to me, it's the biggest solution if we actually want to create change. 
That's awesome. We just made an investment in a company called Lasso, which is a, a software platform for carbon neutral beef and dairy. So they help oh. the, the cattle sector decrease emission and receive potentially real dollars for the interventions that they implement on a farm by farm basis. Oh, that's super. And I think that's another huge issue, right? How do we help farmers farm better, but without losing? Um, farmers always get the short end of the stick and it's very unfortunate. So how do we help them farm more sustainably, uh, be more resilient, but without having them flip the bill all the time? Like it's, you know, they're putting all the work, they're making the least amount of money. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. We're always asking them for more. Uh, and that's not sustainable at all. Um, so what are like, in your opinion, some of the challenges faced by diverse entrepreneurs? Good question. So I think there are a couple. If you're in, if you're an entrepreneur bringing an emerging brand to market, and we're seeing a lot of these as we think about culture, the systems of manufacturing food, shipping it, and and getting it out onto the shelf, were not structured with new entrants in mind. Right, the pay terms, the the lead time. The marketing spend, the merchant merchandising spend required to make a product successful to compete against a very large player, the economics are off. And so that's a big challenge for emerging brands. And it's why you see yeah. so many of them go D to C first and incur a lot of cost, a lot of marketing costs to do so. That's one big challenge. Another big challenge is the increasing raw material cost and and we're thinking this is aluminum cans this is chicken right <laughs> i remember that we were looking at financials for our portfolio companies and we thought why are the cogs so high and the the response was chicken is 37 percent more expensive than it was last year something like that so that's another big challenge and that one is really hard to tackle the first one we're thinking of ways that we can bring the industry together and carve out opportunities for emerging brands that can maybe bypass some of those long lead time requirements or large order quantity requirements, right? There, there are some workarounds. For the raw material cost, that's really hard. And then thirdly, the network is a really big one. So we're finding that for many underrepresented founders, the the network of investors and the resonance required, right? And in my own example, in building out supply chain capital, there were investors we chatted with who said, I've heard about you through A, B, C, D, E, F, G. <laughs> and it took that many iterations of hearing about us and our work and our name that really got them interested. And we thought, why does it take so much, right? Because what that translates into is like ridiculous travel, right? Ridiculous number of appearances for us. It just means we have to be visible in the ecosystem. I think that for new entrants, for 
underrepresented folks trying to break into an industry, you can't close the door, put your head down and do the hard work. You have to be visible and people have to be hearing about and talking about you. And, and it's hard to do that while building your business. Yeah, it's always that double-edged sword, right? That, you know, PR marketing, it's never top of mind when you launch a company. But at the same time, if people don't know anything about you, it's going to be very hard for you to make it. So that's one thing that I think um, people do need help with. Um, I just am mindful of time, but I did want to ask you one thing that people don't necessarily consider or talk about is the correlation between food and climate. When in reality, you cannot solve the climate crisis without solving food. What are three things that we could all do to either advocate more? Or solve something. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that as consumers, it's important for us to think about the, the emerging brands that are really thinking about sustainability from sourcing through the supply chain and through the consumption of their products. So as a consumer, I think we can be more open-minded to trying, trying and seeking out products from companies that are really focused on unsustainable change, right? And for us, our role here is really around it is really about around catalyzing innovation, right? As the the entire food system undergoes this fundamental shift, um, we're investing in ways we can reduce emission and waste throughout the full value chain, from agriculture all the way to distribution. We're seeking ways to create net positive impacts on soil, waterways, and biodiversity. And, and that's our role. But as consumers, it's important that we consider the companies that are mindful. And that's the, probably the, the biggest way we can drive impact for emerging brands specifically. Agreed. And what about actions uh, that we as consumers uh, could do? Um, to do our part, you know, a few best practices for all of us to do in our homes. Thinking about food waste, food reusability, reading ingredients and seeking clean label. Those are two we can all do at home. Wonderful. And how can uh, founders submit their impact-driven solutions uh, to you. Yes. Yes. You can submit your company directly on our website. You can sign up for our monthly newsletter <clears throat> directly on our website. And you can consider the Supply Chain Foundation for end of year giving. Cool. It's been great to have this conversation with you. I encourage all of our listeners to go to your website and find more about your Fund and foundation, you guys are doing tremendous work. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you. Want to deep dive into food innovation? Subscribe to the Food Tech Junkies series. 
Tune in and listen to the industry's champions, whose mission is to reinvent our future by collaborating and disrupting the status quo as a way to rebalance our planet and our daily lives. For more great food and ag tech content, visit our website at www.edibleplanetventures.com and don't forget to follow us on social media.